This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. So we, uh, we've got Becky and Sanjay here from Evolve Collective which is actually the mashup of two things that we've done in the past, our Evolve conference <laughs> and our collective private member group that we did like three years ago. So, so funny. Cause whenever you guys reached out, Colin's like, who's Evolve collective? Cause we've done two things with those names and then they've mashed them up together. So before we, uh, before we started recording, we were just smashing some fireball, getting a little bit looped up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're ready to go now. I'm drinking a little bit of ranch water. Shout out to Carbock <laughs> for stocking our entire fridge full of ranch waters. <laughs> but uh, what is it that you guys do kind of high level for the audience. You, you want to go for it, Sanjay? Sure. So we we started, as you mentioned, with Evolve Collective. And Becky mm-hmm. and I started that um, right before COVID. Okay. Perfect timing. And the reason we started it was we were working in a startup together. And we saw a lot of challenges that startups and uh, smaller companies had with just getting help. And I grew up in a large consulting firm. Mm. Um and I knew the large consulting firm model doesn't really work for the, the smaller companies, the startups, because they're geared more towards you know, larger companies and from their commercial models to just how they operate. Just can't afford it either. Exactly. Yes. And so yeah. we wanted to really pull together, and, and startups have a lot of challenges, so we wanted mm-hmm. to really pull together a, a real team, a collective we call it, mm-hmm. that could go from that could help the startups with strategy, figuring out their market positioning, product market fit, operational, uh, help with their digital strategies, uh, the delivery, even go out in the field and help get their technologies out into the field. We, so we saw that a lot of startups would need that sort of help. And so that's what we pulled together mm-hmm. about um, 15 months ago. So do you get, do you consider yourself an incubator slash accelerator or some kind of spin on that or, or how would you describe it? That's a good question. So I would say Evolve Collective is kind of um, the consulting firm, right, okay. for um, for startups. Now we're we're about to launch the Evolve Village, and we've had that question a lot if we're an incubator accelerator because we're building a global sales team for startups. I say we're neither. I think we're anything unlike anything out there. And so um, we saw the problem, and like we saw a problem within the industry um, that startups really struggle with sales and. Um, so that's where the idea behind the village came. If you from. don't have sales, you don't have a business. Let's right. break it down. And everything in life is is sales, honestly. And you get a lot of really, really brilliant, you know, engineering, you know, focused or engineering uh, background founders who've never really, you know, done any kind of sales or yes. done any kind of business development whatsoever. They don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to prospect. Yes. They don't know how to get in the door, particularly in complex b2b sales whereas it's not a b2c a simple transaction buying some shoes buying some clothes there's layers to it you know there's Mm -hmm. coming in there's eventually doing a you know a pilot phase there's probably launching with one business unit if you're working with the bigger companies Mm -hmm. then expanding from there it's really really hard to navigate and you can't expect founders to necessarily know that unless they have that experience Yes. And what we also notice is a lot of the startups, the sales come from a network, right? Somebody mm-hmm. they do or somebody within their, their sales team knew. It's the people business. Yeah. Yeah. People influence people. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and we're doing business development, our team of 15 for startups. 
And so that's when we were thinking, gosh, we need to take this on a global scale. How can we make this bigger? Because we're having a lot of success with the startups we work with now. Mm -hmm. And so um, because you're right, they don't I mean, they're they're a founder trying to do it all. Right. And so to have a team come in that can kind of help them um, accelerate that. So and then, and then our our commercial model with Evolve Village is um, based on sales commissions for the most part. And okay. so very low risk to the startup. Um, so our, you know, once this mm -hmm. global sales team, when they make a connection, um, mm -hmm. and a sell is closed, then, um, they receive a percentage of the, of the sale. That's super smart. And there's such a huge need for that. I can think of 20 startups off the top of my head that could use that almost immediately because then it allows you, especially if you're a technical founder to focus on, you know, building mm -hmm. your product <clears throat> your software and diving into that and not necessarily being deterred and, and having to focus on something that maybe you're not good at, or you, you, you do the cardinal sin of hiring a bad salesperson, particularly a first bad salesperson, and they're not able to get you in. Mm -hmm. That's usually a super expensive mistake that we see time and time again. Yes. And, and one of the things that we saw at the startup we, we worked at, and I've seen it over and over again, is you have a, you like to generate sales, they aren't coming, and then you get more, in, you get into this desperation cycle and your investors are saying, where are the sales? And then you're trying to go out and you're doing cold calling and you're doing everything you can. So we like to do it the other way. We like to really understand the customer needs and help the startups really tune into that and then bring their product or service and help them align it to their customer, mm -hmm. the customer pain points. And so with that process, we believe, you know, you'll generate the sales like you're talking about. That's crucially important, but we'll do it. And maybe a little bit of patience is required, but mm -hmm. that's, probably the better way than to go through the spiral of getting so desperate that you do cold, cold calls, which is not effective you know, yeah. for a lot of companies. Yeah. It's really, yeah. Cold calling is really not effective. I would say these days, particularly in, let's just say B2B SaaS in the energy mm -hmm. space. I mean, think about it. Like our phones tell if it's a spam call, if it's a call that you don't recognize and just nobody's going to answer it. And that why that's why in today's kind of creator economy, I think everything that we've seen that's happened in tech and venture capital over the last 10 years is going to be happening in this creator economy. And the, the amount of money that we're seeing that's being poured into things like Spotify and other kind of content platforms and every business, whereas, you know, the last 10 years, every business has had to become a tech company first and foremost, right? I think the second version of that is you still need to be a tech company, mm -hmm. but you also need to be a content machine. You need to be a media mm -hmm. company because you need to tell the narrative of your story because if mm -hmm. you're not doing it, nobody else is. And so now that we've got decentralized media through social media, you've got to have a really, really strong like content strategy. And I feel like that's something that's that almost every company that I know in like the B2B space really, really struggles with. They're like, mm -hmm. well, how do we like really, really connect? Because it's like, mm -hmm. ah, you're going to post like product sheets or you're going to post like, you know, it could be demos, it could be this, it could be that, but it's like, what's really going to engage with exactly. the, the people who are following you and ultimately what is going to convert to a sale, right? So walk me through really kind of, as long as you want, actually, we, we have all day. We're just, <laughs> we're just sitting here drinking. So it's not like I, get, I don't have anything else to do today. Um, walk me through each of y'all's backgrounds a little bit, and then we'll kind of come back and we'll, we'll sure. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead first. and start. Um, so I graduated with a chemical engineering degree okay. eons ago. Yeah. And I worked uh, in a chemical plant. I hated it. Um, it was way too technical for me. So I realized I'm not a real 
I'm not. It's uh, so funny. Everybody that I know has got a chemical engineering degree is not using their chemical engineering. Exactly. Degree. It's they're like they lied to us. I'm not making meth in a van with Walter White. It's not fun at all. <laughs> so I knew I did a summer internship here in Houston at a chemical yeah. plant. I I just absolutely it wasn't a good fit for me. So I went back to my senior year and I'm like, what do you do with a chemical engineer? If you don't work at a refinery, a chemical plant, what do you do? So I thought I was going to be pretty much, you know, unemployed coming out of college. Well, there's a company called Arc Oil and Gas that came and was looking for a reservoir engineer. And I was thinking, oh, reservoirs, like civil engineering, water yeah, yeah. reservoirs. So I was going through the interview and I didn't do any homework. And like, and I finally, halfway through the interview, I downed and she's like, he's talking about oil reservoirs. And I kind of fell in love just in that interview mm-hmm. out of just, just learning from that. So anyway, with the I, interviewer or with the, with the industry, with the industry. <laughs> <laughs> maybe both. No, yeah. no, the industry. So it was a weird interview. Cause I didn't yeah. know what the heck I was interviewing for. And yeah, I don't I know what this is, out. but I love it. This is I what love, I want to yeah. do. Yeah. So I did, I did reservoir engineering, but at Arco it was a cross between yeah. managing the reservoir and doing the economics, which I really love. And so then I went off and I did that for a while, but it was through a series of downturns and I thought I, I went off to business school and I thought I'd never return to the energy industry because I was so tired of the cyclicality. But when I was in business school, I realized I really love the industry. It's like when you leave it, you kind of realize you love it even more. Mm-hmm. And so I joined a consulting firm called Booz Allen Hamilton that okay. allowed me to do consulting strategy work and commercial work within the energy industry. So is Booz like similar to like, say like a McKinsey, Deloitte? It, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did uh, that kind of consulting for about 10 years. And then I went to FMC Technologies, okay. and, um, which is an equipment provider for onshore and, and offshore subsea. And <clears throat> did a whole bunch. That's where I really fell in love with technology because we were looking for new technologies to add to our portfolio. We were um, expanding our subsea portfolio. We're also expanding into new onshore technologies. And we were looking at a lot of startups to either collaborate with or eventually acquire. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, was, it was sort of my, um, my awakening to this whole startup world in that job. And then I left that when there was a big merger with Technip, mm-hmm. And I left that and I was working as a, uh, basically a freelance consultant in the private equity and startup world until I worked with Becky at the startup and we started Evolve Collective. So, um, so, so my passion is really in the energy industry, one, and then over the last 10 years, a new passion for, you know, startups and new technologies. Yeah. But you, did you skip over the biota part or was that the, the consulting part? Well, biota is one of the consult, uh, okay. one of the startups we okay. work with. Yeah. Just trying to connect the dots because I know you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Biota is really cool. By the way, uh, what's the CEO's name again? Ajay. 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 By the way, I've invited you on the podcast like eight times. <laughs> <laughs> Get back to me. You drink fireballs. You we drink fireballs to together. So... <laughs> Anyway, really cool startup, honestly. I think they do really, really mm-hmm. cool stuff. So would love to to have those guys on uh, if they'll ever get back with me. But I mean, just reach out to Cooper. He's pretty awesome. So uh, Cooper Gill? Yeah. Cooper's, yeah. Cooper's a good dude. Yeah. I've known Cooper for a long time. Shout out Cooper if you're listening, buddy. <laughs> so Becky, what's your background? So my background's very different. Um, okay. My background's in journalism. I actually went to, I was going to be a doctor. I went first year in uh, What kind of doctor? College. I didn't know, but- First year in college, I realized that was my dad's dream, not mine. Mm. And so very quickly changed my mind. I flailed around for a long time. I joked that had enough college hours for a degree, but no degree. <laughs> so um, finally landed in journalism and I loved it. And really? so um, 
We were um, like, I'm going to go and work on New York Times. I'm going to do this whole thing. It was photojournalism. So photojournalism. Yeah. National yeah. Geographic. Yeah, it was more like, uh, <laughs> not so much. So um, that would have been fun though. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I, I like people. Like I like mm -hmm. photographing people and, and capturing the connections. So that was more of my, my, um, my passion. And so I ended up, I started my own wedding photography business. Okay. And so I ran that for a long time, eventually going, went into uh, video. So a lot of respect for what you guys do, because I know it's a ton of work. So much work. And um, the <laughs> editing alone is just um, so much, so much time and effort. So, um, so I actually fell in love with video more than the photography part. Cause I really? think, I don't know, there's just, you capture more with video and I'm a music, like I love the music, picking out music and just mm -hmm. being, um, I think I feel more with video. So yeah. Um, and so I started doing family videos and was doing wedding videos and then kind of needed to change the scenery. It was, mm -hmm. it was on my own. I mean, um, I couldn't grow. Right. Yeah. So I was Becky woman photography. Everybody wants Becky woman to shoot the wedding. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of at a place where I just needed to change. And so I started doing some marketing. Um, essentially that's kind of what I was doing with my business. And so mm -hmm. worked on some projects with Sanjay and, uh, we work really well together. So um, we say like, we're kind of opposites and somehow we, we kind of come to the middle and, and it, it's really helpful. So, um, so that's my background. So how'd you become fascinated with startups? So, uh, when I worked with Sanjay on the side on some projects, mm -hmm. he introduced me at Biota. Okay. And so I started there and I, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma and Texas, so I'm, I'm mm -hmm. familiar. My family's worked in the energy industry. What part of like, Oklahoma? Um, Oklahoma City. Okay. And I was in Norman and Edmond. Okay. So. Yeah. Are you from, good. are you from Oklahoma? Nah. No? No. no. We, we had some oil wells up in Oklahoma, so okay. I ask. Yeah. That's, so, it's big. Outside of Tulsa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've come a long way, by the way. So. They have. Yes. The city, honestly, Tulsa is kind of like a, uh, in my, I grew up in College Station. I think it's like a hip version of College Station now. Yes. Like yeah. They have a little strip now. It's like completely redone. And from what I hear, Oklahoma City's done some of the same thing. But yeah, they're, they're, I haven't spent as much time there as I have in Tulsa. Yeah, we actually went to Tulsa to do some Biota customer interviews. And I was mm. really surprised at um, how, you know, how far they've come. So yeah. um, I forgot the question that you asked me before. Uh, startups. <laughs> okay. Oh, so Sanjay introduced me at Biota. I started working mm -hmm. there. And I, it became kind of an obsession. So... Um, so it was the marketing part, right? Like how, do, how do we get, bring in customers? How do we bring in leads and, and seeing the, like how hard it was to, you know, you have four salespeople, I, I show up and they're, they're having to do cold calls. And so it was, um, Sanjay and I, we've commuted in together and I asked him like every day, what's the value prop? Like, I didn't even feel like we, the art, the value prop was articulated yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, I just loved it. Like there was, it was challenging. It was fun. And um, and so we worked well together and then that's when we decided to, after lots of arguments on 45. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and before I worked at Biota, I worked with several other startups and it's a common, and you, you alluded to it. It's a common, mm -hmm. um, a common issue. If I could say that is the, the value prop. And I know value props kind of an overused term, but it's really, to me, the way I look at it is the customer has a problem, you know, you know, our industry has so many problems. I mean, oil companies and mm -hmm. other operators, there's so many challenges every day. So I, I, I see that. We all see that. And then you have startups that have some really cool stuff, but they're not getting, it's not, the connection point's not there. And it's, a lot of it's in the marketing and communication. A lot of it is in the founder has in his or her head all the technical, mm -hmm. you know, really the technical stuff. But they haven't tied it to the pain point 
And, um, and as we've worked in the collective work with other startups that come from, that work across different industries, they have something really cool that they could bring to our industry, but they don't understand it, you know, down to the operator level about how they could bring their technologies and put it to work. So these are all the things that mm-hmm. we saw when we were working together. And then I saw in my previous experience and we're like, yeah, let's, this is something we could really try to help. I think it's like, once you go startup, you never go back. I mean, that's not always true. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. yeah. I, I'll tell you something too. When I started, um, cause I left FMC <clears throat> corporate development and, um, you know, we were an older crowd. I mean, the mm-hmm. executive team and the managers, I mean, we were, and I go in the startup and it's all 30 somethings. I mean, and so I felt like, like the grandpa in the room, but I still <laughs> love it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. I remember whenever I first like discovered startups, it was like, it was like Christmas all over again. Cause I was like, I discovered this entire new ecosystem. I learned about Silicon Valley and I just got out of the Marine Corps and I've been working on a startup, but I wasn't really inter- like, I didn't know other people were doing startups. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, th- I thought it was just us. Like, Hey, we're just starting like a small business or whatever. And I would spend all my time in class reading crunch, uh, tech crunch, uh, venture bead, everything I could possibly do and just see everything that people were building. And I was completely disinterested in school after that point. And so, you know, long story short, I ended up dropping out later, but it's, it's like, I could never imagine myself doing anything else other than startups at this point. There's a lot of passion, right? It's so passion. fun to work with yeah. the founders. And trust me, there's a lot of like low lows as, as well yes. as like high highs. Yes. But yes. I don't know. You just, I think it, it gives you the opportunity to really, I don't know. I love building something from zero to one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily that that one to a hundred kind of guy. Mm-hmm. It's like to start something up from ground zero, mm-hmm. you know? So, so are you guys focusing on oil and gas or energy specific companies? Yes. Um, yeah. So we're, we're looking at energy broadly from okay. upstream through downstream okay. and clean tech. Okay. So including midstream pipelines, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Our team is, that's where our team's experience comes in. So. Okay. Where are you guys seeing with the companies that you're talking to now? Like where are you guys seeing like the most kind of movement? I haven't seen a lot of companies in downstream for one. I've only seen a few or a hand few, handful. Um, I see a ton in upstream all the time. We see a lot on midstream around the IOT sensors, mm-hmm. methane mm-hmm. leaks, mm-hmm. or just any kind of leaks mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, and then obviously there's a ton in kind of broader energy, mm-hmm. whether it be on like commercial energy side or whether it be on power generation or battery technology, solar, wind, you name it. There's a billion different things, right? Mm-hmm. It's super broad. Yeah, I would say, I think <clears throat> on the downstream side, I've seen technologies that help with, Plant efficiency, there's one that we've run across that's around um, making, uh, for a certain process, it's around making the reactors more efficient and, make, mm-hmm. and, and understanding what's happening in the reactor so then the operator can tweak the conditions and get higher output. Mm-hmm. So there's some really process-specific technologies. But then, like you're saying, a lot of the, uh, the, artific- the machine learning and con- you know, sensoring and you know, being able to get more data from your operations, those... Tra- those Types of technologies transcend from upstream all the way to downstream. Mm-hmm. It's just all about getting more data and being able to operate the, the facilities, whatever it may be, upstream or downstream, more efficiently, and making you know everything safer. And obviously, clean tech, you know, making anything we could do around, uh, you know, capturing uh, CO two or using more solar or you know things like batteries and things like that. That goes across the entire industry. So mm-hmm. we're we're seeing that. This episode is brought to you by Datagration. 
Now we know that the best workover candidates with the highest potential production gain typically are overlooked because they are not always obvious at first sight. There are thousands of mature oil and gas fields in the US with hundreds of thousands of wells to monitor and optimize with an ever shrinking skilled workforce. That means hundreds of wells for each production engineer to analyze daily. This routine work normally is not automated and leads to lengthy well-by-well reviews. Built within the Petrovisor platform, the Datagration team has automated the entire workflow candidate screening process. By leveraging machine learning and knowledge automation, premature well abandonment is avoided, thus extending well life and deferring well plugging cost. Engineering time is saved by highlighting the best opportunities within the platform, and engineers can now spend their time on the most promising workover candidates and standardize best practices. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about Petrovisor use cases. Yep, absolutely. So walk me through, I know you guys have a process. It's not like just mm-hmm. as easy as, hey, come in and work with us. There's a little bit of a, I don't know if I want to say vetting or if I want to say educating process, but I think it's needed. Yes. I think it's very much needed. And it's like, it's almost like we need like a, I don't know, like a founder's 101. Like if you're like a first time founder, it's like, here's everything you need to know because you have to be like, good at building a product. You have to be good at sales. You have to be good at marketing, yes. good at creating content, good at legal, good at uh, everything. I That's mean, literally success. you've got to wear every single hat. And if mm-hmm. you've never done, most of the time you've never done most yeah. of these things. Yeah. And it's so, so, so challenging to kind of get caught up to speed with everything you need to be good at Yes. on top of building the product, hiring people, raising capital. I think we're in a cyclical industry too. That's yeah. very risk averse. So it adds even more challenges mm-hmm. for, for startups. Um, I would say for Evolve Collective, which is the consulting Mm -hmm. arm, um, we work with small to mid-sized companies, startups, but Evolve Village, which we're launching launching in June, is we built an E3 program and essentially um, we've built a global business development team for startups. Um, So we have about 70 people in um, 16 countries right now. And so essentially we want to grow it to a very, very large community, bring in, we have investors, we have... um, we have managers, we have technical experts, um, and then we have um, executives. So some of them are retired, some of them are working in companies now. It's just um, a range of a range of people. And this is essentially a support system for these startups that go through this, this process. Yes, yes. Okay. So our our uh, E3 program is the process that we'll put the, the startups through. And so what we wanted to do is build something that would help the startups be prepared for the business development team. Mm-hmm. So the business development team will also feel comfortable making connections. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, sometimes when you're, you, you know, you're doing business development for a startup, you get in and you don't really, you know, you realize there's some gaps. And um, yeah. so these people are putting their reputation on the line, taking the, taking a startup to their connection. And so we want to make sure that they are ready to go. And so, and actually I think um, I read the other day that 90% of buying decisions are um, influenced by peer recommendations. So it's a huge part of the sales process is mm-hmm. peer recommendations. So um, for our phase one of the E3 program, it's focused on uh, product market fit and leadership. And okay. so um, the product market fit, we're gonna do, we're kind of gonna pull in a panel for the, the technology where the founder can present to eight to 10 of our villagers, which okay. the villagers are the, you know, part mm-hmm. of the, the business development team. I, I say villagers, the, there, some of them are there just to be technical experts to help with the panel. Some of them do both. And some of them are just business development. Okay. So we want to pull in eight to 10 of the of people that could really help us figure product market fit out for the startup. Mm-hmm. And so the founder will get to kind of 
present to the the eight to ten villagers, and then um, we'll also do set up one-on-one -on -one meetings with the founder and each villager, um, and then we'll kind of have a conversation and and kind of figure out um, what their you know is their product market fit is it is it viable do they have something will it bring value to customers will customers see the value if not is there a way we can work with them to mm -hmm. to tweak it um, and then also maybe it's kind of a niche startup and we can combine it with other startups in the village to create a, a, a solution that we could take to customers. Um, and so essentially after phase one, uh, the leadership also, we have some really awesome leadership coaches because we found that, I mean, you're doing, like you said, you're doing so many jobs, you're growing a team. And so we wanted to also give them the opportunity to work with a leadership coach that could help them along as, they, as they're growing their company. And so um, they're going to kind of work with them to develop a plan for the year as the, the company grows. And that, so after phase one, um, after they make it through phase one, we'll make sure that their product market fit, we're ready to go. Phase two is, you know, we're going to look at customer success, uh, customer service, deliverables, operations, ability to deliver, financing, marketing, sales, and, mm -hmm. and make sure that we, you know, we've kind of come up with a program that really helps coach and guide them to make sure they have all the gaps filled to, um, to be ready for the villagers. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they may be ready once they go through it and we'll just, they enter the village or they, you know, we may have to help them, um, get to the point where they're ready for the village. We just want to make sure that, um, they're to a point where our villagers can mm -hmm. essentially become their extended sales team. So. so they have essentially with the pitches, they kind of have like this, this opportunity to pitch and it's a little bit of a round table, get feedback. <laughs> There's also kind of one-on-one -on -one time with kind of, I say like mentorship time. Mm -hmm. Something you guys also have like modules and courses that they can kind of go through and to, to get caught up on the various kind of facets of the various businesses. Is there any, is there any like cost associated with like equity or cash or anything that, that startups are paying you guys for this? So we've, we've talked about this a lot. I, we would like to um, avoid equity as mm -hmm. much as possible. I mean, there's, there may be some instances where we'll work with a startup because, you know, we've seen a lot of startups give equity and then, I mean, we have a startup. I don't, you mm -hmm. know, you want to hold on to that as much yeah, as Yeah, you want to hold on to right? a bit of it. Mm -hmm. Ideally, we want to help them bootstrap it with sales. And mm -hmm. we know that some of them may need funding. And so we do have investors in the village to solve that mm -hmm. um, when they do need it. So ideally, we want to bring in the sales team that they can bootstrap it and, and gain sales. So the, the, our main commercial model is um, startups pay for the E3 program. We keep mm -hmm. that as low cost as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and then... There is um, sales commissions. So when the villagers make a sell, they get a portion of the commissions, and um, they get the majority of the portions. But we mm. also get to cover our costs. So, you know, that's smart because your alternative as a startup founder is let's just look at uh, Y Combinator or TechStars or any of these other super kind of prestigious uh, incubators or accelerators. It's like six to seven percent right off the top. And then maybe there is like a, you know, fifty to a hundred thousand dollar kind of investment that kind of goes into it as kind of follow on. But depending on how early you're on, I mean, six to seven percent, it's it's that's a lot of equity yeah. still. Yeah. And I think most founders yeah. don't really realize that. Yep. And I think most founders are not really educated on how valuable you should treat your equity. Right. Yes. I think you're you're desperate to succeed right and so you mm -hmm. get in the in the situation where you're um when that comes along you're willing to do it but we've also seen a few founders that have given away a lot of equity and they they still need help or so, and so it, it's just kind of a we want to avoid that as much as possible we really want to help them with sales yeah and the, one of the uh 
we spent a lot of time, months on the E3 program because mm-hmm. even though Becky mentioned marketing and finance and delivery and operating, it sounds like a lot and we're going to, it may cost the startup a lot. I, I want to reassure that we spent a lot of time focusing on what are the essential questions. Mm-hmm. So we made it very, I would say very cost efficient yeah. for the startup. And what we're trying to do is, it's not just a, it's not just a vetting so the villagers, this business development team feels comfortable but we also believe it's going to really help the startups, um, even within their own efforts that they mm-hmm. have, you know, their current connections they already have. Because what we're doing is we're really helping them tie their uh, product or service to the customer pain point. Mm-hmm. And then we're walking through all the steps because I think we've all seen instances where a startup actually uh, gets, gets an opportunity to work with a customer, but they can't deliver. They don't meet the customer expectations, which is almost worse than making mm-hmm. the sale in the first place because your reputation's on the line, right? Because we're such a close knit community. So with, you know, people move around different companies or they, they talk. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a bad experience with a startup, that's worse than actually making the sale. So we want to make sure the startup is as prepared as possible when we help you make a sale, whether it's a pilot or it's a full on commercial opportunity that you can do everything you can to hit it out of the park and meet the customer expectations and we want to help them set the customer expectations because these are mm-hmm. startups after all. They're, they're not going to be um, like Microsoft with a full-blown product that's ready. You know, it, mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, something that the customer is going to try and work with the startup to, to get to the next level. So we want to make sure all of that is in place so that when the villagers, one, can help make that, that connection and eventual sale. And then when the startup is in with that customer, we give them everything they can to achieve success because success will breed more success. Mm-hmm. And it's, so that's, we think we've got something that's really cost efficient, but will help the startup in so many different ways mm-hmm. um, inside the village and even outside the, their other efforts as well. It's a good point. Yeah. So it isn't just to, I mean, there's, it goes both ways. It, mm-hmm. it benefits the startup as well as make sure the villagers are confident. Yeah. And it also helps us as they grow within the village, it kind of gives us an assessment of how to help them along. Cause that's mm-hmm. a big part of um, big part of what we're going to help them with. So yeah, I wish there was something like this uh, whenever I first started off a decade ago. There was nothing. I mean, you had Y Combinator. You had like the big stuff. I got, I got denied from Y Combinator, by the way. They totally shut us down. Um, they're lost. They're, I know. They're completely lost. Um, but no, like there's, there's nothing that was like, a, a, I guess, accessible for founders to be able to like educate themselves, specifically in the energy industry. There's nothing. Uh, we had Surge Accelerator back in the day that Kurt Coburn had launched. Um, but I think by probably the time that I was getting started, I think they were kind of just now shutting down. And so there was like this huge gap in the market, particularly here in Houston um, with like HTC shut down, a bunch of other things. So there was not a lot of resources, let's just say in Houston or in oil and gas or energy um, really over the last probably eight years mm-hmm. or so. And things have changed. I mean, a lot of things have changed mm-hmm. so far. So, but I wish that there was, I don't know, something to kind of fast track that, learning that kind of comes along with experience. Maybe you learn a little bit earlier and maybe not make some of those really expensive mistakes, whether it be time kind of, or money. Yeah. Um, what's like the ideal stage for you guys? I'm, I'm assuming, you know, it's pretty early stage. I guess, I guess let me caveat being like, what's the, like what's too early stage for you. And then like, what's perfect. Yeah, that's a really good question mm-hmm. because we're, we've had a lot of discussions within mm-hmm. our team. So, where, where we're geared right now is towards somebody, uh, a startup that's sort of past the, uh, we're in the garage stage mm-hmm. and are ready to 
um, you know, are ready that have a product or a service that's kind of ready to go. I mean, we'll help them, mm-hmm. we'll help them get to market. Like we talked about, we are contemplating going even earlier with a, another modified E3 program that's meant for startups that are looking for their first pilot opportunity or mm-hmm. prototype. And so we're working on that because uh, we've already sort of put the word out about the village and we've gotten interest from earlier startups and we don't, uh, we don't want to deny them mm-hmm. um, because just because they're too early, they're kind of earlier than what we thought. So we're going to design another sort of prototype program that kind of goes to the same. I mean, the module, the first module would be the same as, do you have something that's really going to solve a problem? Because it doesn't matter if you're later in startup or right, right in the garage. If you don't have a technology or um, an offering that's helping solve a, a, a real problem, then you probably, you have a problem right there. Yeah. And so, well, that part of the module one will still be there. I think module two will look different because we're not going to expect them to have the entire delivery process or all the marketing material, a full website, because they're just getting started. So what we want to do is then help them figure out how do you get a prototype? What's the messaging? What, how, would you, how would you arm the villagers to go get you um, the first sort of prototype mm-hmm. with a customer? And what does that look like? Yeah. So that's something that's in progress. So. Um, so we do want to go target the earlier stage right now. And when we launch next month, we'll be more, you know, a little bit further mm-hmm. along startups. Do you guys intend to focus on just software startups? You know, cause in this industry, you've got the guys who are maybe inventing a new frack pump and you've got these new chemical downhole additives that could, you know, help with, uh, increasing production or a variety of other things. Are you, are you kind of opening up the the landscape to kind of take anything in or is it yes, software specific? So, um, so we've, we're, we're still in the midst of bringing in more villages. Becky mentioned we have 70 mm-hmm. plus right now. We like to really grow it. One of the reasons we want to grow it is just exactly what you're saying. There's so many different uh, nooks and crannies in this mm-hmm. industry. You know, there's, there's, like you're saying, you know, very specific technologies. There's software. There's clean tech. And so um, there's upstream. There's downstream. So we're, we're diligently looking at our villager uh, profiles and saying, mm-hmm. where, where do we still have to fill in some villagers? so that we can cover that universe. And so, yeah. um, so the answer is yes. And we're, we're continuing to build towards that. So on the villager side, let's talk about that for a second. Cause mm-hmm. we probably have a lot of people who may be interested in, mm-hmm. in being a villager. Mm-hmm. Is this a, just kind of like a donating of time? Is there an incentive on their end outside of maybe the, the BD side? I could see, you know, some kind of commissions and stuff, but assuming they're not really doing a BD stuff, maybe it's, um, just kind of, you know, mentorship on finance or, or raising mm-hmm. capital or something like that. Kind of talk to me about that a little bit. So what we realized is um, we needed to bring in a lot of help, different help for the startups. Mm-hmm. And we want to we want to incentivize people because I know some programs, they have mentorship or things like that, but it's just it's hard to get time with them or um, there's just a lot of roadblocks there. And so all of the villagers, they get paid for their um, hourly work, basically. So okay. essentially, it's kind of like a large uh, global team of technical experts, too, that can help startups when they need to or mm-hmm. um, people with experience. And so. They get a percentage of the se- any sales that they help make, but also get paid for hourly work. Okay. And so we also, if you bring in villagers mm-hmm. under you, you get a percentage of their sales as well, because we really want to build like a kick-ass community for startups. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to incentivize always to just build a huge, we want to build a huge village for startups. So I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love this. And then recruiting other villagers is, is really important in, mm-hmm. uh, internationally. Yep. So we know, you know, for example, Brazil, 
Petrobras and, and other, I mean, it's, it's a place that could be a market for startups. Mm -hmm. And so we're encouraging our Brazilian, you know, uh, villagers to go recruit others, bring, bring others in and mm -hmm. you get to share in that, uh, the benefit that comes. And so, especially internationally, we're, you know, sitting here in Houston, it's hard to recruit villagers. Um, we, we have, you know, super villagers that are going out and recruiting others. Um, so we can build that uh, international base as well as what we have here. Mm -hmm. Essentially, there's five ways the villagers can um, um, are incentivized in the village. It's percentage of sales made, uh, percentage of sales made for any villagers you recruit. There's hourly consulting work. If you refer a startup, and then we also realize there's a long sales cycle, and a lot of them will be working, you know, with meetings and and coordinate a lot of things within their network. And so um, there'll be kind of a monthly. Um, we'll kind of figure out, you know, the, the villagers that are working. Mm -hmm. um, a lot each month we're going to work on, you know, giving them some, you know, basically uh, incentivizing them for their time. So, yep. What are some of the technologies that you guys are most excited about? The most excited. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, you love Mach. Can I say two? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I like the technologies in the automation space that okay. allows us to see what's going on without sending people necessarily mm -hmm. there. Um, if you look at our industry, it's still a lot of folks going and driving long distances to go check out assets, um, especially in remote areas. And so I really love the technologies that you could put sensors, you could have ways to getting that data in, put machine learning on top. And it's not, in my mind, it's not meant to reduce the number of people. It's just how do we it actually makes the jobs more fun rather than the drive hours to just see something and, Oh, it's working. I can now focus my time on, mm -hmm. on issues, wells that are down or assets that are having trouble. And so I get really excited um, about that. And then having been a reservoir engineer um, back, I get really excited about reservoir and completion type technologies. Mm -hmm. And even though, you know, everybody's not everybody, but a lot of people say, oh, the oil and gas industry won't be around for 20 years. I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there'll be some clean tech, but, and I'm excited about that too, but we still need oil and gas industry and particularly gas to be a transition. So mm -hmm. anything we could do to get more out of the ground, more efficiently, cheaper. And Becky mentioned the cyclicality. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the cycles won't be so bad if we were, if we had those technologies that can make us even more efficient. So when we go through a commodity downshift, our cost structure and efficiencies are that much higher. We could survive it even better as, as, a, as a sector. So those are two areas that I'm pretty excited. Have you seen cold board technologies? I have not. So no. it's right up. I mean, it's a, it's, it's completions and automation mixed together. Awesome. We, uh, we showcased a little bit of technology whenever we went up to uh, Pennsylvania and did a, the session with Toby Rice for our Evolve conference. Um, it's pretty neat. Go check them out. Shout out to uh, Brett and Lee over there. I definitely will. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really cool technology. Okay. Your turn, Becky. My turn? Your turn. Uh, it doesn't have to be energy. It can be whatever. What, what, what kind of technology are you into? What kind of technology am I into? That's a good question. I, so I just like to make whatever we're working with like, connect with the customer. So I'm mm -hmm. I, actually, I'm not picky. So um, I just like to dig in and figure out... Um, the technology and how to speak best to the customer, connect with the customer and make it fun um, mm -hmm. as much as possible. So that was kind of my, um, when we were at Biota, my, my uh, motto was engineers want to have fun too. Right. So <laughs> um, 
So I, I kind of mainly focus on the, the marketing side of Evolve too, right? And so mm-hmm. um, a little bit with the clients that we work with. So. so you guys are launching in, you said June or July? June. June? June, yes. Okay. So are you guys taking applications for startups and villagers currently? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, on our website, evolve-village.com is where okay. they can apply. It's not, the website hasn't been launched yet. So we're actually, we're actually adding bios for every villager that we have. And so we're building okay. all that out. So a startup can go and see exactly who is in the village. So very transparent. Um, and then the villagers will actually have a login on our website where they can log in and see every startup will have a, a personalized custom pay, or custom page on our website. Mm-hmm. And so the villagers can log in and see all of the startups that have been through the E3 program. And so, and we'll also market to the villagers. So mm-hmm. on their behalf. Um, so we have a wait list now with startups because we, we put a little, uh, teaser out on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and we had, um, a lot of people interested. And so, awesome. um, yeah, we're, we're in the building phase for the villagers. I'm really pushing that right now. And then, um, we've got some startups that we're going to pilot through and then, um, and then we'll start working through our wait list. So, so if anybody's listening and they got a, they got a startup, they want to get on the wait list. Do they go to the website? Should they reach out to you directly? Yeah. If they go to the website, there's a form that they can fill out okay. to apply and then we'll reach out to them and, and work, work with them. So fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, I think we got to get back to taking some more fireball shots. <laughs> that sounds great. So thanks guys for coming by. I think it's fantastic. I love what you guys are doing in the industry. I think it's absolutely needed. Um, I think from just helping entrepreneurs in this space, you know, educate themselves really, really quickly as to how to be kind of a more effective founder, especially in those early phases. Took a lot of failures for Colin and I to get to this point. Um, just things we didn't know, things we were never taught, things we didn't read. Um, there was like no structure to it. It was really just Hard. figure things out yeah. along the way. Yeah. So love what you guys are doing and, and look forward to kind of further collaboration in the ecosystem yeah. kind of absolutely. moving forward. So thank you for having for us. Yeah. Thank, thank you absolutely. so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys, take two seconds. Go uh, share this with your friends. Send it to your your friends, your family. Just do uh, send to all at company, particularly if you work at a really large company like Halliburton, Slumberger, Technip. We can do that. Uh, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Go, go, go.